Good afternoon, Seven Investors, and welcome to the Monday edition of Seven Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks Klein. And if I look flustered, it's because I am flustered. I usually don't do anything in the half hour before the show. I spend time reading my notes, uh, going over last minute changes. Today, I was supposed to pick my son up at the dentist. It's about a six, seven minute ride, but apparently I didn't know where I was going. There was some sort of major police action, and then there was a road close. So I literally just turned around and didn't pick my son up at the dentist. So my wife will be out doing that now, and uh, I will be doing this show here with all of you and, of course, with Steve Symington. Steve, welcome to the program. How are you doing this morning? Well, it is, it's a happy Monday. It's like 80 degrees here, which is tropical for us, and uh, <laughs> golden. I'm good. Are your kids out of school yet or are they still in school? They're out of school. So yeah, they're, they're, uh, I don't know. They might just be waking up right now <laughs> with, with how late they've been staying up. We were, uh, we were watching a movie last night. So that was a good time. We, we have the opposite issue. My son has to get up for school at 6 a.m. So he is perpetually like an 840, he's 17. He's about an 845 <laughs> at night, uh, you know, going to sleep. But he has four more days of school. And basically yeah. for the last three weeks, it's been like just watching Pixar movies. Like, <laughs> like you know, he's probably seen Moana like 40 times that the, the, I, I am not a big fan of. I feel like we should have just ended the school year on time, even though we started late. Like it's been a tough year. Uh, anyway, we're going to move on. We are going to talk today. <laughs> and we, of course, would love your questions and comments. Uh, we're going to talk about the possibility that big tech is going to get broken up now. That has been a theoretical possibility for a long time, but uh, let's just say things got a little bit more real. There are multiple bills in the House of Representatives uh, that uh, aim to do this, that aim to put some restrictions. We'll go into some of the things they could do in a second. I'll let Steve take that part from the show notes. Uh, But why do I think this is more serious than usual? Because there are reasons on both sides of the aisle, and we don't talk politics here, but we're just going to talk the overlying issue. There are reasons on both sides of the aisle where they want to regulate big tech. There is a a right-wing theory that they're persecuted uh, or or not properly featured on some big technology platforms. There is a left-wing idea that these are monopolies. Well, there's some happy middle ground in regulating these companies that make it much more likely impossible. Uh, So we're going to get into talking about what this means for investors. But Steve, if you want to share just a few examples of what this, again, proposed legislation this hasn't happened yet but right. what this proposed legislation might do um so yeah there there's several bills kind of on the table right now but uh five bills and uh, among them you know for example we could force google to stop promoting youtube uh in its search results which would be you know of course google acquired youtube for something like 1.3 billion dollars you know decade and a half ago. So uh, they're one company for anyone who didn't know. Uh, Apple could be required to relax restrictions on iOS app developers. Uh, Facebook could be banned from acquiring nascent companies for the purpose of stifling future rivals. Uh, and you know, really, uh, when you talk about the most aggressive uh, of these bills, we could be talking about tech giants using uh, their control over multiple businesses. It, it would prevent them and uh, potentially uh, break them up. Uh, and prevent acquisitions, lots of different things that could happen from from these five bills. Um, but whether they're, they come to fruition is another story. We'll probably talk so about that. In a minute. We're going to get into the investing angles, and we would certainly love to hear what you have to think about this. But this is a mixed bag. So let's go back to that Google example. Mm-hmm. Let's say I search, um, 
I'm trying to think of a, a, an accessible band. Let's say, let's say I, I search uh, uh, Coldplay videos. You know what I want to show up? YouTube results. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> yeah. So if, if I search how to fix a broken dishwasher, chances are the best answer for that's going to be on YouTube. It's probably not going to be on Vimeo or some other video platform. So I, I actually think there's a challenge here because obviously, you know, if somebody searches uh, what investing service should I buy, boy, I, I, I would love for it to come up with seven investings about us page or whatever it is. But the reality is Google's actually trying to serve you the best result possible. Does that result tilt to them a lot of the time? Absolutely, it does. But Google's also done some really smart things. Like, for example, it used to be if there was a something trending on Twitter and I wrote a news article about that tweet, my news article would be the first result. Now they show you the tweet because you probably want the tweet and the underlying yeah. conversation there. So I think this is a very, very mixed bag. Steve, I'm going to throw a bunch of questions at you uh, about this. But, but before I do, in general, I don't think I favor this. Like I, 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 I tend to believe that the market right. will correct this. And I understand that all of these companies are doing things that that are bad. On the other hand, I worry about the unintended consequences of, say, the damage to small business if you weaken yeah. Facebook as a platform or making search just not that useful, which I, I, I don't really have a lot of complaints about Google search. They generally get yeah. me the answer I'm looking for. And if they happen to make money, I'm not so sure I care yeah. And and the people impacted by this, well, they're competitors. Like I think mm -hmm. that's all right. But Steve, your your overview thoughts here before we get to the the nitty gritty yeah. of it. I, I think um, I think one thing that's important to note is there's a big difference between looking tough in a legislative hearing and sounding like you're you're, you're taking <laughs> hard line and actually getting sixty votes for one of these bills on the Senate floor. Uh, that's that's a, a there's there's a very there's a big gap uh, to to close. Uh, before that happens. So I'm not entirely convinced uh, these are going to cross in their, their current forms. Um, we also have, you know, uh, we could be looking at, at bipartisan support uh, for these bills. But uh, on one side, you know, you have a, a party concerned about the political, the, the, the ability of these companies, these big tech monopolies or duopolies in, in some cases to stifle uh, speech. And then on the other hand, you have people concerned about uh, just the fact that they are arguably monopolies. But uh, I think one of the one of the bigger things that we, I, we also need to keep in mind is, is that there seems to be a, a fundamental misunderstanding about how a lot of these businesses work uh, in Congress. Like we saw that in the hearings and ugh, it was it was like <laughs> you you have the CEO of, of Alphabet like explaining to his 97 year old grandpa how the interweb works. Like this is, it was, yeah, th th this wow. is a very big problem. And look, I think the industry could have headed this off by mm -hmm. having its own regulation. I look, right. I mean, there's obviously some fishy stuff going on yeah. and it would be much better to have an OSHA style industry led regulation that passes some meaningful reform. Look, yeah. I just downloaded the new iOS on my iPhone. And when I logged into every app, it asked me privacy questions. Mm -hmm. And I actually granted uh, the social media sites permission yep. to, to track my data. You know why? 
as annoying as it can be, if you know you bought a couch last month and and Twitter's serving you couch ads, a lot yeah. of the times it's actually very useful. You're actually getting results based on what you you were looking for. Um, and, and I find it, you know, certainly with small business discovery or restaurants, if I'm at, uh, you know, our, our Davenport, Florida house and, and I search best Chinese, I want Facebook to, to be giving me targeted advertising content that becomes yeah. almost content. So I thought long and hard about it. And I'm sure there are some apps I'm going to say no, like, like, I'm not sure that say like the, uh, the gaming app I use, I, I, I play a uh, solitaire on skills. I'm not sure they need to have my advertising information. <laughs> um, but a lot of things I, I'm actually okay with it, but let's get into the nitty gritty for investors and seven investors. You are being awfully quiet. Let's see some questions and comments. So let me ask the big question for consumers and then we'll get up into shareholders is is this type of regulation, and I'll call it uninformed regulation, hmm. this isn't going to be good for consumers, right? Like, it seems to me that this will have unintended consequences. That might be a leading question, but I happen to agree. <laughs> it was. It's, it's not good for consumers. Uh, and, and I think that's one of those things that, that they will argue heavily is, is you will be harming consumers in the process. And all of these big tech companies have publicly said, we are all for regulation, uh, but it needs to be the right type of regulation. And of course, that's going to be met with skepticism. Uh, like you say, what, what's the right type of regulation? The type of regulation that allows you con to continue dominating? Sure, uh, in a lot of cases. But uh, this is, it's been great for consumers. You know, who doesn't complain uh, about all of the, the revelations and positive technological changes these companies have brought? Uh, and, and a lot of them, the majority of their revenue is driven by small business. When you talk about Google ads and, and, uh, you know, Facebook's commerce pages and stuff, uh, small business is thriving as a result using these platforms. So that's something that we can't ignore. Yeah. And there are consumer friendly things. So You're a right. lot of people have objections to the fact that Microsoft has bought uh, Bethesda game studios along with owning <laughs> Minecraft and owning other things. Well, sure. as a consumer, I pay for an Xbox on a subscription model, uh, and with that, I get Game Pass, which gives me access to all sorts of games I used to spend $60 for. So yeah. does Microsoft lock me in as a customer? Absolutely. Would I have spent more had they not offered that deal? Yeah, absolutely. I, I am a huge believer in the... Uh, you know, mix of hardware and software as a service. Uh, you know, yeah. Steve, that, that, that I bought my robot vacuum that way. I needed a new Roomba and they offered a really good deal I, over at iRobot. You shared that with the team. And I went, wait, for $24 a month, or I don't remember the exact number, uh, I get a new... I get a new robot every three years and they send me replacement parts and wait a minute, it's a way better one than I have. It's self-emptying, which is awesome, by the way. So again, mm -hmm. I, I am wary here, but let's go to question two. Sure. Would, a, would a breakup of any of these companies actually be bad for shareholders? Because I kind of don't think it would be. Like if Facebook had to spin off Instagram, as long no. as they weren't forbidden from having, you know, some sort of inter, you know, partnership agreements, which certainly yeah. say like a PayPal eBay did for years after they broke up, though they don't anymore. Um, I actually think you might be unlocking value in some cases, but you know a lot more about this than I do. So go yeah, ahead. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Um, I, I would say not necessarily. Uh, there's potential that uh, as, as one business, as a single consolidated business that these tech giants are more powerful and valuable. Uh, and able to extend their reach. And, um, but 
There is also an argument that we are looking at businesses where the 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 sum of the parts is actually greater than the current valuation of the the businesses, right? So uh, when you look at uh, Alphabet breaking out, uh, you know their moonshots businesses, which are largely pre-revenue uh, from their cloud computing business, to um, their you know any gaming efforts and hardware efforts and search and YouTube and uh, all of these different businesses. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's an argument that if you decided to break them up into all their disparate pieces, that uh, the sum of those parts could be greater and current shareholders would not be shortchanged in the process, right? You'd be like, well, now you own shares of these five businesses instead of just a single share uh, of, of this one business. So uh, no, I don't, I don't think it would hurt shareholders. Uh, you'd have a lot of annoyed people worried that it would, but uh, I, I'm not convinced that it would. And it depends what the breakups are. If you make yeah. Facebook sell Messenger, that's a problem. If you make them mm. sell Instagram, those are standalone businesses that probably benefit from, from the advertising structure. Mm. But there's not, a, I recognize you can use one to populate the other, but right. there's not a ton of interplay between them. Whereas if I'm in Facebook, I can see my Messenger <clears throat> messages. And and look, I know these are are not really the prime concerns of most people, yeah. But I, I think as an investor in many of these companies, <coughs> there are things you want them to sell off. I'm not so mm-hmm. sure I want Alphabet if I was a shareholder sinking billions of dollars into, uh, you know, uh, automated driving and, and other, right. you know, Waymo. sort of yeah p- pie in the sky ideas. I'd really prefer that to be side projects funded by the owners, uh, you know, yep. like we're seeing with like SpaceX and, you know, and Tesla. That's not a Tesla company. That is a, that is an Elon Musk company. It is important to think of it that way. Um, let's go with another one. Is there any actual problem being solved by this legislation? Does it <laughs> does it help or hurt anyone that, that these companies, I mean, it hurts their competitors, but yeah. we've seen through the launch of, of all these big tech companies, other players emerge in those spaces. They Now, it's also important to note that clearly the meaning of the word monopoly is not the way we define it. It doesn't mean has no competition. Yeah. But again, is the government, is anything being helped by this? Um, I, I'm not, the yes and no. I mean, the, I think the, the worry is that these businesses are too powerful and they they want to uh, stifle uh, the power and reach is if it doesn't come at the expense of these up and comers. But uh, I would say, yes, they're solving it, but uh, it's being politicized more than I would like in the process, uh, the the problems that they want to solve. We've got a great comment from our very own Max Chatsko. Steve, why don't you read that one for us? Yeah, Max says, most of the Rockefeller fortune was made after emphasis. Standard Oil was forced to split up as the family became shareholders and many businesses instead of one. So uh, that that speaks to the argument that uh, would a breakup of these companies hurt shareholders and this, you know, some of the parts. And, and uh, you know, that's part of the reason that we've seen uh, a, a lot of businesses divest portions of, uh, of, of their own companies or, or spin off things because they believe that they can focus better on their specific niche as a standalone business. And, uh, and a lot of times that, that fosters success. So, uh, yeah, great point, Max. So power equals monopoly in the government's mind here. The old version of a monopoly was you owned something and you thereby didn't let anyone else have the similar product. So I'd go yeah. back to say the ISPs had a lot of power over, say, a Netflix by being able to say, hey, we're going to choke you off 
Uh, and we did have some FCC involvement there and, and deals get made. None of these are typical monopolies. Uh, you can compete with any one of them. You just look, look, you and I, Steve, cannot launch a Facebook sized company, but yeah. could we launch an online community uh, for people with disabilities who like golf? Like, okay, is that unbelievably specific? Yes, but you can build <laughs> off of that branch and build something. And just because you're not the dominant player, I'll point out, I, I grew up in a family that, uh, that, that made ladders and scaffolding. My family still makes scaffolding. Yeah. And our competitor was Werner Ladder, which is a multi-billion dollar gigantic company uh, that, that's nationwide. And how did we compete? Well, you can't compete by making a cheaper ladder. You can compete by being better at customer service and heavily serving the niches they don't go after. So they'd be out there selling the, the skyscraper, and I was selling the guy building a CVS or building a small apartment building. And you can do it different. And we're seeing that in all of these areas. There are competitors yeah. for all of these companies on a major level and on a small level. We're going to finish this one up soon. Uh, we appreciate so many of you watching out there, but of course, you are being very, very quiet. We have to think there would be more questions and comments on this one. Um, so, Steve, I want to know. You know, cable companies, ISPs, they are a they are a pet peeve of mine. Um, <laughs> but why did the government not protect consumers from from internet service provider monopolies? In fact, local governments generally signed exclusive contracts that right. forbid competition. I don't really understand why one type of monopoly is good and the other is bad. And to me, it actually feels like it's all politics. Right. Um... And those are those were the most frustrating for people because they really felt like they had uh, and still, you know, in, in many cases feel like it's about 40 percent of the country still only yeah. has one ISP or cable company. Yeah. And uh, I guess, you know, there there are companies on, on my scorecard, actually, that are trying to take advantage of uh, some of those opportunities to offer more choice. Uh, to to regional internet providers, so um, yeah, that's uh, that's something that uh, it, that's an opportunity I, I think to to change, but it is frustrating, and and that's one of those sort of narrow monopolies where um, you know maybe they're not as concerned because it's not uh, you know I guess with with some exceptions you know your Comcasts of the world that that serve a significant chunk of the country, right? Um, but local cable providers are, are, you know, they can be maddening when you talk about their their lack of customer service because in a lot of cases, either they're overwhelmed or they just don't feel like they have to pour as many resources into that aspect of their businesses because consumers have no reasonable choice, you know, unless they want to go with some subpar little side uh you know, satellite internet and, gig or something, but and in a lot of cases, that's not even an option. And like, you know, let's get back <clears throat> yeah. to the word monopoly here. I don't have to use Facebook. Yeah. I actually have the opportunity, if I wanted to, not even use social media, to call my friends, to go to my high school reunion, <laughs> to do all sorts of things. I could, I could print out. In fact, we do. My mother in law doesn't have a computer, uh, so we print out photos and send them to her. My my son writes her letters like, you know, we, we there obviously are options to not use it. But with the exception of my mother in law, almost every American needs Internet the way you need electricity or water. Yeah. Yet in many places, it's still a legally a, a legal monopoly or your alternatives aren't good. Now, did this force innovation? Yes. 
30 years later, you have your SpaceX's sending up satellites uh, and you have your, your T-Mobile building out 5G and making that a viable internet option in rural areas. Yeah. But literally, those monopolies go back to the early 80s when cable was first laid. And I understand that was a monopoly in exchange for the expense of laying cable. But right. was that still an excuse literally 30-something, maybe 40-something years later? Uh, Steve, if, if you had to guess, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll close out with this, do you think there will be significant regulation uh, over big tech in the next, let's call it 18 months? <sighs> Um, if I had to guess, I'd say no. Uh, I wouldn't say I, I would say that the government fails to reach a consensus on what that regulation will be in the next 18 months. Uh, it could be proven wrong. Uh, but uh, I, if I had to guess, I, uh, you know, I, I'd say no, no, probably not. I, no. I'm actually going to say yes. I think there the piece of this that will pass is there will be something uh, limiting purchases. There, there's going to be significantly okay. heavier scrutiny on the big end, where if you're buying, you know, if you're over X market cap and you're buying something sure. that's over Y market cap, it gets an added layer. I think there's also going to be sure. a little bit of what you talked about in the beginning on Facebook, where like, you know what, if somebody comes up with that new, uh, put it in your ear and you can have a social network, on, you know, play out on your glasses and it's not yeah. Facebook, uh, but it's a three person company that'll sell for $30 million. I actually think there's going to be more scrutiny for that too. That okay. actually could hurt Apple, which you don't hear a ton about Apple in, in this discussion, but Apple is actually pretty famous for buying people who make some sort of app because they don't even want the app. They just want some piece of functionality right. and to own that team. And I'd argue that that's largely been good for consumers. You're seeing yeah. a lot of leaps and bounds. Uh, the story came out today that Apple is likely going to be able to monitor your blood sugar in the next iPhone. Now, I don't know if that will be enough for true diabetics to be able to, to use it, yeah. uh, but it's certainly a, a positive. It's, it's, you know, so I think a lot of innovation has come from, well, my little company can do this thing. Wait, we're part of Apple now and it's in everybody's phone. I, I think that's mm -hmm. really, really important. We're going to pivot and do what we're watching in a second. And we're going to talk about space. There's not a lot of notes on here. It basically just says space, but Steve is going to lead us in that direction. <laughs> Before we do that, let's talk a little bit about something important that's happening here at 7investing. Steve, today is now June 14th. Uh, I'm not great at math, but that's yeah. roughly the middle of June. Uh, June June has 30 days, unlike those months that have 45 or 50. No, they, they all have 30 or 31, except February, which is 28 or 29. So we're at about the middle. And that gives you about three weeks left to lock in 7investing at its current yep. pricing. That's $17 a month or $170 a year. If you subscribe before the end of the day on July 7th, you get that pricing as long as you remain a member. So 2,432, you're ahead in a jar. Our successors are, are doing this show. They're, you know, the Steve Simonton robots on. You're still paying that. If you don't lock in, as of July 8th, our pricing goes to $49 a month or $399 per year. Now, look, it's a value at that price, at the new price. We do all sorts of things we didn't do when we started the original. First of all, there's seven experts instead of just the three and four that there were in the early days. Uh, and it is an incredibly diverse team. We do members only events this Friday coming up. We've got our new members call at 10 a.m. 
the existing members call from 11 to 12.30. That's where members can ask us questions about anything they want. Uh, yeah. All sorts of uh, questions about the picks, questions about what is going on. Uh, and those are lively, lively phone calls. So we won't belabor it. But if you want to become a member, and why wouldn't you want to become a member? It is seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. Uh, Sam Bailey, yeah. if you want to share the address, that would be great. Seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. Three weeks left. Get in now. Why would you pay more? If you're watching the free show, you are going to love the paid content. With that, Steve. There is a lot going on in space, and it is a little bit yeah. confusing because Richard Branson, or <laughs> Sir Richard Branson, as we're supposed to call him, I guess we don't have to as Americans, but as, <laughs> as he goes by, because he is he is knighted, uh, which seems incredibly <clears throat> archaic, but but he is. Um, he has a second space company with a similar name to his first space company, right? All right. <laughs> and, and it looks like they're going to go public in a SPAC. You want to explain what's going on here? Yeah, so there's several things going on with the, the space economy uh, right now. So first and foremost, uh, just a few days ago, uh, Sir Richard Branson uh, is apparently in late stage discussions to take Virgin Orbit public via SPAC. Uh, and this is likely going to be a two and a half to three billion dollar deal is what they're searching for. Uh, so similar to the size of Virgin Galactic and make no mistake, these are two separate companies, right? Uh so Virgin Orbit actually spun off from Virgin Galactic in 2017. Uh, and that was essentially in order to allow both companies to hone their focus on their respective niches and, uh, and yes, to pave uh, the way for Virgin Galactic to go public in the first place. Uh, that happened in late 2019. But now uh, we're seeing some progress with Virgin Orbit. And I believe it's going to go public um, I forget the ticker already. It's like New Vector Acquisition Corp or something like that. It, it, it uh, is a Vector yeah. Acquisition. It will trade under the ticker RKLB. Uh, that's No, that's Rocket Lab. So Vector oh, sorry. Acquisition, sorry. Uh, Vector Acquisition uh, is, is the Rocket Lab. So actually, this is going to provide some, um, on, on that note, some competition uh, for Rocket Lab which is going public under its own SPAC deal sometime in the second quarter. So, uh, you know, anytime in the next several weeks, we should see Rocket Lab go public as well. But Virgin Orbit, as opposed to Virgin Galactic, which actually takes, uh, you know, it's, it's space tourism is, is in, in long haul travel disruption and a couple different markets like that that Virgin Galactic is looking at bringing people to space. Virgin Orbit is all about small satellite launches. So 500 pounds to 1100 pounds, they actually take a 747, attach basically a big rocket uh, to the bottom, looks like a missile, drops off similarly to the way the Virgin Galactic space plane uh, drops off of its mothership and launches it from air. So you don't need a platform, uh, you know, a rocket from the ground to do this. Uh, and and it'll allow um, small, um, basically small payloads to be launched into orbit. And uh, I believe they have another um, another test coming up later this month or early next month. Uh, so, and they're going to live stream that test as well. So there's going to be, Virgin Orbit's going to be all over everybody's radar, pun intended, uh, in the next couple of months here, because it's it's got tests that it'll be live streaming and it'll be going public and it'll be confused with Virgin Galactic over and over again. Uh, but they are two separate companies. And it's very important when considering investing in this type of SPAC to really understand the business. This, oh, is, yes. a, this is a long game. Virgin Orbit can do their tests. They can get a satellite or two up. This is not going to be a meaningful business for years. 
we we've seen it with Virgin Galactic. Like they hit some relatively minor milestone, like announcing a test, and the stock will move in dramatic form. You're sure. not going to see what these companies are actually worth for maybe five or ten years, maybe even longer than that, for it to fully yeah. play out. Long haul travel may be a great business for Virgin Galactic, but that is transformative to the way the sure. world operates now. And it's yeah. not going to happen overnight. And figuring out what the market is, is that a $25,000 ticket? Is it an $8,000 ticket? That's really, really different. So these are fun to talk about. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, I, I have to admit, I own a very small amount of Virgin Galactic. Um, largely because I have so many friends that bet on it, I don't want to be I don't want to be left out five years from now if yeah. it, if it scores. But be really careful here. And then Steve, sure. you've got what I call the race to kill a billionaire. Where <laughs> you, right. you, are, you, you, <laughs> you have Blue Origin founder Jeff Bezos, uh, who who is trying to be to get to space before Richard Branson. Yeah. I actually think this is kind of a terrible idea that we should not be sending our best and brightest. And I, I understand the logic uh, with Virgin Galactic of, of Branson basically saying, hey, it's it's safe, um, you know, and that gets other people. But they have a huge waiting list. I'd rather right. random rich guy blows up than, than Richard Branson, who yeah. is an innovator <laughs> and one of the more important humans. But, but explain what's going on between Bezos and Branson. Right. Um, so the other thing that we saw is over the weekend, uh, Blue Origin successfully auctioned off its first ever human spaceflight ticket. Uh, the the person who won this auction, they'll reveal in the next couple of weeks, uh, and they'll be flying with Jeff Bezos and his brother Mark on July 20th. For They auctioned that ticket off for $28 million. Now, this is crazy because the bidding started. They've had this bid up to you know available to the public for anyone who wanted to go through verification process and actually place a bid. Uh, the bid going into the live auction portion this weekend was $4.8 million. And it was it was crazy to watch because they live streamed the auction as well. You can go back and watch. It's really weird to watch people just casually, you know, on the phone with their bidders. And he's like, hey Jeff, you know, what's your bidder say? 28, you know, 26, 27, 27, 28. And and uh <clears throat> but it went all the way up to $28 million for someone to take a space flight with Jeff Bezos. And um, what was really interesting, though, was that the um, the the interest was substantial. They had 7,600 registered bidders from 159 countries, uh, and the proceeds are going to charity, right, uh, for this first flight with Bezos factor. Uh, so it's it's not really a direct comparison to the pricing power or, or perhaps demand for the actual commercial space flights once they um, – start kind of ramping that both Virgin Galactic and uh, for Blue Origin, right? They're going to both start ramping um, space flights of their own. Uh, but it's still encouraging, nonetheless, that someone's willing to pay $28 million uh, for perspective. Virgin Galactic already has two, or 600 people who've paid an average of about $250,000 to reserve their spots on their first flights. Um, but this is also interesting because, you know, those 7,600 registered bidders for the Blue Origin flight was kind of in line with some figures that Virgin Galactic had released before. So Virgin Galactic, they have the 600 future astronauts who've already put down a $250,000 deposit, but they also have a thousand members of what they call their one small step program who have basically put down smaller deposits to be next in line. And then they've said they had 8,000 online reservations expressing interest following their flight in 2018 within a year, and they're going to reopen 
open once once they announce Branson's flight and actually do that successfully, Virgin Galactic, they're going to reopen ticket sales to the public and we're going to get a good picture of what the actual demand for these flights are. And I, I think people honestly are going to be surprised uh, in a good way if you're a shareholder. And uh, interest in full disclosure, I have a, a fairly substantial position in Virgin Galactic. And uh, I, I think, um, you know, when we're talking about businesses now with market caps of $6 billion, uh, I, I do think we're we're looking at multi-bagger potential as the uh, the the long-term uh, potential of these businesses begins to become more clear. So it's going to be an interesting next couple of months. We're going to be keeping an eye on space and remember, not affiliated with Orbit Gum, Virgin Orbit, not affiliated with the gum. That being said, Steve, uh, we are going to hit the home stretch here. We appreciate you watching uh, our very very quiet audience today. Uh, but that said. Uh, uh, we enjoy that so many of you are following us along for the ride here. Let's yeah. hit the home stretch with uh, are we at an inflection point for automation driven by the current labor shortage? So what does this mean? So you look at, say, your, your rich fast food chain, your McDonald's. McDonald's, which has routinely gone to its franchisees and said, hey, you have to spend half a million dollars to, to update. We'll finance it. We'll give you some portion of it, whatever it is. Right now, if I own a McDonald's and I can't find enough people to work there, which is a legitimate problem in parts of the yep. country, even with higher wages being paid in most cases, is that the point that I say, geez, I wonder what it costs to automate making a Big Mac? Uh, I, I don't think we're quite there yet, but it feels to me like we're going to have to start really asking these questions. Am, am I reading it wrong? You're, you're sort of in the AI and robot space more than I am. Right. Um you know, I, I think that that requires very specialized uh, mechanics and specialized robotic solutions. Uh, and, and the technology exists, whether it is viable on a commercial scale for a company like McDonald's, you know, to be able to have a robotic solution to make hamburgers. Sure, there's robotic chefs out there. Uh, are they going to be in, you know, 7,000 McDonald's locations in the next couple of years? Probably not. Uh, but I, I, you know, fast forward a decade and maybe the answer changes. Uh, but I do think there are, are markets that are already kind of being disrupted, disrupted uh, in the name of automation. Um, and that could be something that's accelerated by the current labor shortage. And, and we were talking about this on our, our Slack channel earlier this morning. Uh, there are people quitting their jobs in droves right now. Uh, and some people sort of rage quitting amid the labor shortage. And uh, uh, so it, it's a really interesting thing um, to the, to watch these dynamics that not a lot of people expected to play out. Right. Um, because we have you know 7.6 million jobs or something lost during the pandemic that they wanted to get back. But now people are sort of retiring early or quitting. And uh, it, the, the numbers, the math is kind of changing on what we need to be to get back to sort of pre-pandemic levels of employment if people are literally just quitting or retiring. Well, there are some uh, outlying factors here. And part of yep. that is that childcare has not come back to the level. Sure. Uh, and we're heading into the summer and summer camps are not necessarily operating the same way they normally would, or they're, yeah. they're not obvious, as viable as they were. So we're hitting that. There's also, if $15 is the, the minimum wage at a Taco Bell or a Chipotle, well, that's forcing wages up everywhere. And I have a teenager, a uh, 17 yeah. year old who's hoping to enter the job market this summer. You know what he's not worth? $15 an hour. Uh, <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't have any skills or practice yet. So, yeah. you know, I, I think we're going to hit that problem, but I will tell you that right now, I 100% guarantee that your McDonald's and your Domino's of the world, uh, and certainly your Walmarts, 
are heavily researching automation. That if you're in a field like, okay, is Starbucks ever going to fully autom- automate or, or, or are any coffee chain going to fully automate? Probably not because there's an artistry into what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, but if you're ordering a medium pizza from Domino's, you actually want the sameness. Uh, you, you want it to be the exact same way every time. So you know, if I buy from Walmart and I want my order packed, I don't care if a person did it or a robot did it. So right. is it going to be that quickly? No, I don't think it's going to happen that quickly. Uh, but I do think it is going to happen. Um, you know, And we're going to see it. Look, we've seen tests in this. All of this technology exists. It just becomes what is the delta for actually bringing it online. A stock investor has a comment. Steve, why don't you... Why don't you share that? Like, tell me I could be eating robot made Big Mac soon. Uh, yes and no. <laughs> That's, yeah, I see. Yeah. I'd say the Big Mac is perfect for robot made because mm. McDonald's is using uh, kiosk based ordering. They have a robust app, and you could go in and heavily customize. That's been one of the benefits at at, at, at any of the coffee chains where you could go to you go to Dunkin' and say like, yeah, I want a half calf. I want one uh, pump of cherry and one of vanilla. <laughs> And yeah. could you throw a donut on the top? Like you can really get to very specific. I think that's going to be a benefit. And I've talked about this a lot when it comes to delivery. Uh, there was actually a Saturday Night Live joke about it this year about uh, having fake people in your hotel room to justify how big your, your room service order is. I actually think that when you order for <clears throat> delivery uh, or, or pick up via app, the size of your order goes up. And it, it has for McDonald's. It's, it's like something like 15 or 18% higher. And I think because... There's less shame in getting a shake or, or adding an apple pie or a, a, a grimace cookie. I don't even know if they still sell grimace cookies. But you know that type of thing, it definitely seems like there is more of that. We're going to hit our finisher uh, in a second here. Uh, but our, again, our own Max Chatsko, who Max never ceases to surprise me. I worked the grill at Wendy's in high school. I wished a robot would have taken my job. Yeah, <laughs> those seem like difficult yeah. jobs. Steve, did you ever work in the fast food space? I, I never did, but uh, Max actually brings up a great point there. Um, yeah, actually, uh, robots taking our jobs. That's one sort of recurring fear uh, that I've seen from a lot of people is that, oh, robots are going to take our jobs. Automation is going to take our jobs. Uh, yes and no, right? Jo- I think the jobs market changes and jobs will evolve. And those jobs that can be automated will be automated, but that doesn't mean they'll come at the expense of jobs for humans. We'll simply find more effective, efficient jobs for people to do as a result. And uh, that's something that I think we really need to keep in mind is is we're not going to have a bunch of unemployed people because of robots. We're going to have different jobs for those people. Um, Like like robot polisher. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I mean, yeah, the, I mean, the market for blacksmiths obviously isn't what it was in the 1800s, you know, because the, these are technologies that were sort of automated largely then, and, and we can do a lot of that with robots, but the jobs changed and, uh, and we're going to have, you know, more cerebral jobs and, and, uh, not necessarily all, all thinkers, but there, there are trades and everything that people can go into that won't be disrupted for a long time, but robots aren't out to steal everybody's job. Uh, but some jobs will go away as a result uh, and be replaced with others. I will say there's a bit of a robot pitfall. Uh, so I've talked about, I live very, very close to a target, about four tenths of a mile from a target. And I I went to target yesterday with my son and we were buying three or four things we didn't particularly need. And yeah. the line was significant. Now they have a very large automated checkout area and the automated checkout is so bulky 
that you need a person half the time anyway. You're buying alcohol. Something didn't scan right. You So there's almost as many people serving that area, which is gummed up. And then there's only two or three registers open. And the problem is they did at some point in the 35 minutes I spent in line, uh, which is yeah. preposterous, they did call people over to open new registers. But instead of saying, hey, you're third in line, come over here, just the people at the back of the line got to go, go ahead and, and get out in front of me. <laughs> and it's a significant problem. Yeah. And look, some places we're seeing it that there's actual labor shortage. Uh, in the mm -hmm. Orlando area, I have had the problem of walking into restaurants that aren't that crowded yeah. Uh, and, and they say it's a 20 minute, 30 minute wait. And that's simply because they have not gotten waiters and waitresses either to come back or they have new ones, but they're not trained yet. So it's going to be a bit of a period because we sure. went from essentially minimal tourism to, oh my God, it's crowded in like two weeks in, in that, in that area in, the, in that call it the greater Disney area. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> there are going to be temptations too. And I think this is what we're seeing at Target to have less personnel to offset the extra expense of the pandemic. And right. that to me is a very slippery slope. You, I heard more than one person in line say, boy, if I wanted to wait in a line like this, I just would have gone to Walmart. And uh, if you have target customers thinking that Walmart might be a better option, that's not great because that was absolutely a customer service driven brand. Yeah. Thank you for watching the show. We are going to move into the end here and hit our finisher. Sam Bailey, if you want to share the graphic. Do you think 25% or more of all retail sales will be conducted online by 2025? 88.6% of you said yes. Uh, Steve, I want your thoughts here. Then I'm going to show another graphic. So I, I think part of the reason that uh, so many people voted yes on this is, is the fact that a lot of people probably assumed uh, that it was higher than that already. And, uh, and that's one of the things that I think people are like, yeah, everybody, you know, it's gotta be more than half, right? No, it's, it's nowhere close to that. Um, but yeah, it, it, go ahead and, and, and run with that. I, I think that's, yeah, so, so Sam, let, let, let's, let's show this other graphic here. Cause this is a pet peeve of mine. Um, in the second quarter of 2020, which would be the height of the pandemic, uh, e-commerce was 15.7% of total sales. Now, why is that? It's because a lot of things we purchase, we still purchase in person. We're at 13.6% now. Do I think that number will climb? Yes. But I did a survey of my own sort of purchasing habits. Uh, and I order from, from uh, online retailers two or three times a day, very, very regularly. But my wife goes to the grocery store and she spends a couple hundred dollars a week. Well, I don't spend a couple hundred dollars a week in my online purchases, and I still usually go to, say, a physical liquor store, or I go shopping to buy pants. Now, I did just buy some shorts online, and thankfully they fit, so that, that worked out. But for, for the most part, you think you're buying more online than you actually are. Now, I personally am above that 13.6 because I bought my car online, and they're basically, it's an online sale if you agree to the deal online. You don't actually have to conclude the transaction. Uh, so if you made a reservation to buy something but could pay in the store, that would still be considered an online sale. So this is actually yeah. tipped in favor of, of online sales in an omni-channel world. And I have a hard time believing if during the pandemic, when it was hard to leave our house, when we all needed things that you couldn't necessarily get at the stores that were open, if we didn't hit 20% then, 
why over the next three and a half to four years would we get to 25%? I don't think that's likely. And I hear all the arguments, oh, it's so easy to be on your couch. But Steve, you have kids. Do you go to the mall because you need something? Or do you go to the mall because like there's pretzels there and like it's it's a mall and maybe there's a, a you have young kids there's a carousel maybe or, or other yeah, things to I, do I don't like go to the mall at all but no uh, that's yeah it, it, sometimes it's nice to just get oh, out. Do, do you even do you have a mall like I didn't even think about this. <laughs> we we do have a mall. It's actually pretty nice and and they're they're significantly expanding it. So got the AMC dine in which I can't wait to go back to once there's some decent movies and yeah so uh, it's yeah we we, we have a mall. So yeah, I I am uh, I am bullish on online retail, but mm -hmm. I do think there are limits to it. I think there's things we want to buy in in person, and I admit I once every couple of weeks will order groceries online because I'm just yeah. simply backed up and don't have a chance to get to the store. Sure, but I still prefer to go to the grocery store and look at the fish I'm buying and you know, and, and see what they might have on the shelves. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I think this is a lot of noise about nothing. With that said, thank you for watching today's show. We'll be back on Wednesday. Friday, please remember that we do this show at 1230 and we will likely have most of the team. We probably won't have Honorbon, but we will have most of the team because it follows our, our members only event. So if you are not a member, what are you waiting for? That is seveninvesting.com slash subscribe. If you'd like to get in touch with us, that is info at seveninvesting.com. And of course, if you want to follow us on social media, which I, I suggest you do, we're a lot, we're a lot of fun. You can get access through the <laughs> at seven investing account uh, to all of our personal accounts and, and watch us interact, watch us talk to members, watch us talk to our friends. It is an awful lot of fun. Uh, I, I had a really good weekend on social media with people thanking me for uh, some, some, some stock advice that that is something I've actually made an official recommendation on, uh, but they didn't know it from that. They knew it from me talking about it years ago in another <laughs> forum. The other thing that gets a little scary though is when someone thanks you for something that you didn't recommend and someone <laughs> thanked me online for recommending Crocs. I did not recommend Crocs in any fashion. I did a show where we talked about Crocs. That is very, very different. Uh, and I did private message that person though they did make money on the deal. So, uh, so that being said, be very, very careful with uh, how you take any advice on Twitter. With that, thank you, Sam Bailey. Thank you, Steve Symington. I am Dan Klein. We'll see you Wednesday. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.